So when I go into a listing, my focus is, in some ways, not on getting the listing, it's connecting with the client, understanding their goals, presenting them a really clear plan and a path to achieve those goals, and then just seeing if I can help them do it. So I'm taking the pressure off, so I'm not saying I've got to get this listing to make my budget, or I've got to get this listing because I want to beat the competition. I'm saying I really want to get to know this client, I want to understand where they're at in their life, how are they feeling about the sale? Because some people are excited about a sale, some people are petrified. So I want to know all of that stuff. And, I'm, and, I, and while I'm doing that, I'm peeling the onion, getting to know them better, getting to understand what are their concerns, what are their fears. Is, is getting the best price the only thing that's important? Some people, it's not the only thing. Some people are saying, you know, I have no money, John. Don't you understand? When you're talking to me about marketing, I have zero money. I'm selling the place because I'm going broke. That's a reality for some people's driver. For other people, they're getting divorced and, and no one knows, including the kids sometimes. You know, they're trying to keep it quiet from their community. So discretion and privacy is a big issue for them. So you need to un- understand what are the key drivers of the transaction so then you can create a clear path to help them achieve those goals. So that is called trusted advisor stuff. That's not snake oil salesman. We can do this. We're the best. Let's auction it. Let's put it up. We'll, you know, we'll pay for marketing, take it out on settlement. All that stuff is really, I think, old-fashioned rubbishy real estate language you need to walk in this is a serious transaction this is a serious and valuable transaction you need to let them understand that you are there for them and at the end of it if I can't help them if they think there's someone better equipped than me absolutely that's great I wish them well on the sale and I'll go and find someone I mean Belfort said last year on this stable he said you're a sifter not an alchemist meaning so the sifter is you need to find the business that's good real business that really wants to sell that values your service, that connects with you and wants to move forward. You can't create a sale or a listing where it's not meant to be. So if there is someone and all they want is the 1% agent that's going to pay marketing up front and they want 500000 more than the local comps, you can't always create that into a sale. You're better to say, well, I'm sifting along and I'm looking for a piece of business that really wants to transact in the near future that values my services. This doesn't appear to be the one, so I'll move forward with grace and elegance and style. I'm not making judgment on, on, a, on a fee dis, discount or agent. I'm not making judgment on a vendor that wants a fee discount. That's all up to them. The world is big enough for everyone. We don't, you know, so coming back and saying, oh, yeah, they're an idiot. They just wanted the cheapest fee. No, they're not an idiot. That's the decision. That's their criteria. I don't agree with it, but they don't agree that all agents are different. They think all agents are the same. So I, I really want everyone to sort of shift to that trusted advisor energy, everyone in the industry. I mean, I, one day when I die, I want to look back and say, one of the differences I made in the industry is that I kept t- talking integrity for 50, 60 years, and the industry got it, and my, all my associates that I worked with and I worked against in competition got it. That's for me, is what drives me, one of the things that drives me every day. It's about, let's, let's establish a benchmark where people no longer say about agents, our oh, agents, you know, they tell white lies, and some of them tell bull-faced lies, and, and they're a bit, you know, dishonest or whatever. You know, let's just say agents should be seen like local doctors, like, uh, you know, your accountants, trusted advisors. That's what we should be as an industry, right? John, uh, the last seven or ten minutes has been focused about... Give it a And let's make it happen, because we're the ones that can make it happen, because we are the smart brigade that gets to the event that changes lives. So let's make make this happen. And when we go back to the office, those people that couldn't get here or didn't come here, you've got to keep spreading that word. Even to your principal, we've had people ring up or email on um, uh, MDA, on Million Dollar Agent, and say, you know, I'm working in a company and I just don't agree with their values and whatever. Well, you know, you've got two choices. You can either have an impact upwards and say, hey, I think we should change the way we deal with customers here. 
because customers deserve better than this, or you've got to move somewhere else where you have a values alignment, where you're working in a team that believes in trust and integrity. At the football the other day, Rabbitohs won, yay, Rabbitohs. Um, one episode. We can't get away with just one episode. He's not mentioning that. <laughs> went, out to the, went out to the football here and, and uh, we met Beck Frizzell. I don't know if you, maybe the Gold Coast we would know. Frizzell's is a very successful automotive brand here. I think they've got Audi and many others. And, and she's a wonderful woman and she's the chairman of the Gold Coast Titans. And she was just saying, John, you know, we're about honesty. She said, there's three things that are critical. I remember the words. It was honesty, transparency and accountability. And she said, as a business, now as a football team, since she's taken over the chair, they've had their fair share of problems with the Titans. She's cleaning that up under great pressure. Um, but in her business, she just says, they're the three things that we just talk about every day, honesty, transparency, and accountability. If you live your life focused on those things, just give people the real deal. People around you, people in your team, people in your community, customers, and just hold yourself accountable. Sorry. John. The other, so there's the two parts. Part number one is when you're inside a house and you have an opportunity to serve someone and you're able to tell them your story, what you do and how you do it. Yet At a listing? At a listing. Yet I have most of Australia and New Zealand and all the feedback we get and all the questions that they ask is, Tom, I wish I had the luxury of being in those houses you from 30 years ago John you never ran a business where you were going to go out there and interrupt strangers knocking on doors um, trying to get the attention of people you you chose at an early part in your life that you would use the term that is now known as running an attraction business mm. where you would actually do good work and have people to come to you um, can we talk about this concept? How, how do people get to be picked more to go into opportunities? How do people create opportunities? Well, look, you, you've coined the phrase attraction business, which I love, Tom, and I think we all need to develop an attraction business. Uh, so that, the attraction business, the definition for me would be people find you more than you find them. And there should be both, by the way, but people are actually knocking on your door saying, we've heard great things about you, Tom, could we, could we interview you? So I've never knocked a door in my life, door knocked. It just was never my thing. Um, I've never done a letterbox drop other than a bit of success marketing. Again, never my thing. So my point of difference was customer service and creating raving fans and nurture marketing, keeping in touch with people. I found that not only was it far more pleasurable, than, and now by the way, there are agents doing millions of dollars that do a lot of outbound prospecting. It's what works for you. It just didn't work for me, my personality style, my positioning where I wanted to be in the market. So my goal was every time I dealt with someone, they had to finish that saying, wow, I just met someone that cared. I just met someone that was well-researched and well-prepared for my meeting. I met someone that gave a damn about me. I met someone that listened. I met someone that delivered at or above what I expected based on what they promised they'd do. If you do that in an industry or in a world where not so many people do that, you will start attracting business like you've never... So, 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 John, you're saying the actual prospecting part of the business is highly correlated to the actual service part of the business yeah. because providing an extraordinary service to a particular customer makes that person your prospector. Yeah, so there's this, like, let's call it three or four groups or stakeholders. Number one is the vendors, clients, sellers that you deal with, they pay the bill, they're the client, therefore, as opposed to the customer who's the buyer, that's my language. So... 
they must walk away saying, my God, I just wrote out a check for $30,000 to McGrath or to John, and that was the best $30,000 I've ever invested. So they've got to feel that they got amazing value. Because guess, when was the last time you wrote out a check for 30000 for a service? Not talking about for a car or a house, for a service. For most people, it's never. And yet we think, oh, 2% is not a lot, or 2.5% is not a lot. $30,000 is a lot of money to write out for someone for a service. So we need to give them sixty, ninety, dollars $120,000 worth of service you know, in their expectation, their experience. So that's number one. Number two is, <clears throat> once you've listed the property and you are in the process of creating that raving fan, you are going to, by definition, come across a lot of customers. You market the property. I want to talk about vendor-paid marketing in a minute. You market the property. You're attracting buyers. Now, a lot of agents, for some bizarre reason, think buyers are less important than sellers. No one is less or more important than anyone else. Everyone is gold. Every relationship is vital. So you've got to deal with your buyers with that same level of care, nurture, expertise, preparation, research as you deal with your sellers. So then you're not only creating raving fans out of your sellers, you're creating them out of your buyers. The next group is everyone else in the world. So wherever you go, whether you're going to a cafe, whether you've got an Uber driver, whether you're you know, flying on a plane back tonight and you're chatting to the flight attendants or the, or the people that are taking your ticket, why wouldn't you treat everyone like gold? Not just sellers that are giving you a check, not just buyers that are buying your product, but what about everyone else? Isn't everyone as important? Now, it's when you go to that third level, that's when that's your whole shift, your whole life changes. But I have seen what I, who, people who I thought were relatively smart and fairly successful, I've seen them go to cafes or I had lunch with them where people bring them a drink or a service or whatever and they ignore them. Or they don't. I mean, it's kind of, what is that all about? Yeah. Where is your ego at that you think you're better than someone because they're earning $20 an hour yeah. and you're having like a big business lunch? Yeah. You've got to look after everyone. So I think... That's when the whole world shifts. You, John, but you've always, and I think you've made reference to it on one of the podcasts that we did about six months ago, you said if no one knew John McGrath and John McGrath was starting out with no brand name, with no reputation, what John McGrath would do is go and immerse himself with every buyer in that marketplace that was being neglected, that was being treated with poor service, and what you would do is you would not only help them find a house that you might have, but you'd actually give them advice on other agents' listings and be their total service provider. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely, Tom. I mean, I started selling when I was 20, and so, you know, there are some 20-year-old salespeople in the room, but probably most people are a bit older. When you're 20 and you start in sales of a very big product transaction like real estate... You know, to get traction, it can be challenging at a young age. So I just figured vendors were probably not going to, uh, you know, see me as necessarily the first choice, but buyers were being neglected. So I just looked after buyers. That was my simple strategy. Looked after buyers, looked after buyers. Eventually, you know, that would get me enough sales. So I may not get the listing commission, but I get the selling commission. And then the buyers, I thought, well, they'll turn into sellers one day, so that'll be good for my long-term career. What I didn't think about that became a reality is buyers talk to sellers. Buyers go back and someone at work said, oh, you know, you bought a property today. You know, who'd you buy from? Who looked after you? And then, So word of mouth is just, it's out there. Word of mouth is the number one. Forget social media, forget advertisements, forget YouTube. Word of mouth, when someone has a great experience, is your number one. John, I ran into an agent in uh, Queensland who'd been only working for three years and everyone in the office was raving about 
how good he's been going, new business energy, what have you, selling properties that other agents haven't sold. And I went over to him and I said, um, what's the secret? And he pulled out an exercise book. And the exercise book said, buyers who own real estate had their names, their emails, their phone numbers. And he said, these people here, people treat badly. They own millions of dollars of real estate potentially. And me servicing them is my listing presentation to them years before others are going to do a listing presentation to yeah, them. Yeah, um, But we talk about that when we do listings, don't we? You know, I was, I was doing a trading session the other day and I just said, you know, okay, Monday morning you're called into a listing. The listing's on Wednesday. The phone call comes in Monday. When does the listing start? And, and the agent in the coaching session said, oh, I, I, I know the answer. It starts Monday morning. I said, no, no, it started a year ago. Yeah. Started a year ago. Everyone in your community that's thinking of selling in the next year or two is watching you consciously or subconsciously now. They're opening up the local newspaper. They're saying, oh, okay, this is the nice Say that again, John. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I can't help myself. You know, the, 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 they're doing the online, the newspaper, they're looking at the signboards. Even when they're not looking, they're looking. Um, they're seeing the way you operate. They're popping into your open for inspections. They're driving past your open for inspections. When I did an open for inspection or an auction, I never parked outside the house. Why? Because I wanted one extra space for a customer. Now, my, the neighbour might have taken it or whatever, but I just knew, and I also never wanted to appear arrogant, and I always used to think people turning up in a big fancy car and pulling in front of the house kind of like John Wayne or something. It wasn't my style. So I always used to park a block or two away, and that gave an extra space. So little things like that, these little things make a difference. Now, I didn't say that to people. You're the, kind of one of the first audience I've ever said that to, but that was just one of the many little things that I used to do to make sure. I always used to bring my open for inspection lists from all my properties to that open, and I had a little folder full of them because sometimes you'd see someone that visited the home two weeks ago, and you're trying to remember their name, and you're forgetting their name, and you just might peel back and have a look at your open for inspection list. So I would often say, you know, a young couple arrived with a, you know, with, with a little dog or some, you know, someone came, guy with a beard and his, and his wife or whatever. And so I, I would always, because I knew that if, if there was some way of helping me, rem, reminding me who people were, because we in the industry, we meet thousands of people, we know that. And you can say, well, I can't remember everyone. Well, and that's a reality, but you can actually do a better job about it if you have some little tools. I mean, Tim talked about, you know, his tools for success and productivity yesterday. For me, that was one of the tools that I used to, that I used to really um, use a lot. It was successful. So what are the little things you're doing to make a difference so when people kind of get a better experience with you? I was going right. to say, even at the open for inspection, just having an assistant give out the brochure and take their name and number right. and say, the floor plan's on the back and go inside, Tom's inside. Yeah. It doesn't really cut it anymore. Um, one of our most successful agents at McGrath, Ben Collier, kind of takes the time, shakes their hand, looks them in the eye, um, says, welcome to the property. Yep. Listen, if there's anything that I need... Uh, or you need, sorry, come and see me on the way out. I'm sure we'll be able to help. I, yeah. I, while we're talking on that subject, I, yeah. I think we'd be remiss if I don't bring it up. And this is a, a Rick Rushton uh, uh, a quote. Um, in all these million-dollar agent interviews I do, John, on the blog, I can't get over the amount of agents that keep saying that open houses are the lifeblood of their business. Mm. And more or less, one of the terms that they're constantly using through open houses is trying to see if someone's a buyer, trying to see if someone's a seller, a simple term like, guys, you came through on, sun, on Saturday, I didn't have a chance to speak to you, most of the people that came through um, uh, were locals, 
I'm just curious, are you researching, buying or selling at this time? Yeah. That question alone seems to be an enabler to get into more doors than any other. I'm, John, I want to talk a little bit on, on, on vendor paid marketing because you made a reference to it just before. And I don't bring that subject <coughs> because I'm involved in News Corp and realestate.com, the two companies. <laughs> I, want to, I want to bring it up because there's, there's other media outlets as well. Yep. But you, were, John, you were from 30 years ago, you were a marketing based agent. Yeah. Marketing-based agents now, there's so many more of them. I mean, most of the top 100 agents at the REB Awards recently were all marketing-based agents. If you're not marketing-based agent, if you don't believe in marketing, you are going to lose market share. Now, by the way, the first thing I want to say is I don't support vendor-paid marketing because it boosts my profile. That happens to be a byproduct, by the way. I look good when I'm promoting my clients' properties confidently and, and effectively. I don't do it for that reason, because everything has got to come from the right intention. So if I'm thinking, oh, I need a few full pages in this week's Went With Courier, so I'm going to, that's the wrong intention. But what you've got, to, you've got to say is, do you believe in marketing, yes or no? For me, it's unarguable. How can you say that I can get as good a price when I kind of introduce five buyers to a property as I do if I introduce 50 or 500? The answer is, the more potential qualified prospects you introduce, and nowadays via internet, it's not just local people, but it's local and international, um, the better price I'm going to get. So I believe in that. So I don't have a problem selling that to clients. So I think that, you know, you've got to be, when I walk into a listing, I'll say something like, Tom, no, I don't say it up front, but I'll say it during the conversation. So just to give you a sense that my view is that the reason you would engage me is not to sell your property, which might sound strange coming from an agent, the reason to engage me or whoever you choose if you think there's a better agent, but the focus needs to be on maximising your price. Mm. Because it's not just a matter of putting it out there in the market and selling for a price, it's a matter of how can we help you get 7% more than yeah. you would have got during another method. Yeah. Because it's so easy for an agent to say, you know, no sale, no charge, spend $500 on marketing, but the reality is that's not going to cut it. You've got to position every vendor's property, every client's property with confidence and it's like in a supermarket, you walk into to Woolies or Coles this afternoon, you're looking on the shelf for a brand that you know and something that's at, at sort of eye level and something that stands out. The same in real estate, you know, you're looking for something that's at the top of the search rankings, that's, that's a full page or a half page, not a quarter page, that's got a beautiful photo signboard out the front, something that's been confidently marketed and therefore as an agent, you need to have the courage. I, I gave a little coaching session, I don't know if Jess is here from our our uh, Belconnen office, our, sorry, Gungarland office in Canberra, but she's a really, she's a bright spark, she's a great, great young lady, hasn't been in the game that long at all, and she was doing a couple of sales a month, but we knew that she had some superstar quality, and she drove up to Sydney, and I gave her a coaching session, because I said, well, I'll introduce you to some of our top guys, and you can spend a few hours, anyway, at the end of the 30-minute coaching session, I, I identified that she was brilliant, she had great dialogue, she had great market knowledge, and I'm trying to work out, so what's the X factor, because mm -hmm. all this combined should be six, eight, ten sales a month, not two. And what, I peeled it eventually to she doesn't close, which means she's great at presenting, she's great at connecting, she's got all the knowledge, but at the end of it, she's letting herself down by not saying, you know, Tom, based on everything we've gone through and based on your goals and the plan that I presented, would you be happy to put me to work straight away? Or would you be happy to me to look after your sale? Or would you trust me to handle the sale for John, you? What, John, do you, like, closing in 2015, does it matter? It is the most natural progression of a great presentation. Guess what? They, this could be a reality check for some people. They haven't called you in because they want another friend, right? 
<laughs> they call you in because they want to sell a property. So they have a, a number of questions in their head. They're trying to get the best price, whether they've recognised it or not. They're trying to get the best price, and they're trying to do it within a within the time frame that works for their lifestyle at the moment or their situation. So that being the case, this is a business meeting. This is not a social chat. Albeit you need to connect, you need to, they need to feel good about you, they need to feel trustworthy, they need to like you. Well, they should like you, they don't need to, but it's better if they like and trust you, of course, they need to trust you. But at the end of that, there needs to be a conversation to check if you're on track. Are we aligned? Will this work? So I said to Jess, you know, Jess, write this down. 20 seconds of courage three times a day will change your life. So she's writing it down, she's looking at it, and I said, so what does that mean? She said, well, I guess when it comes time to close and I get the butterflies, I need to kind of push on. I said, exactly. So I said, 20 seconds of courage three times a day will change your life. The first month after that, she got seven signed auction listings with marketing programs, right? Because of one, one concept, no, no, it wasn't a concept, it was the application of the concept. Because she could have heard that, nodded and said, that's a great idea, and then gone back and got the butterflies and not done it. But, you know, she's a great student and she took it and she did it, and she got. And her principal, Jamie, um, rang up. Uh, sorry, Craig, rang up, and Craig said to me, seven auctions with marketing campaigns since that coaching session, 30 days. So that's kudos to her for being a great student. But just think, because everyone gets some degree of nerves. When I come up to speak, I get nerves, and I'm doing it now like four or five times a week, as you are, Tom. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a bit of fear of rejection as long as you don't hold it back. There's nothing wrong with a bit of nervousness when there's an important activity happening as long as it doesn't hold you back. But John, that's a, a, a valid point you said. One, she was doing everything right, but it was one thing. And that concept, I think the guy uh, Keller from Keller Williams. Gary Keller. Gary yeah. Keller has written a book called The One Thing. Yeah. A lot of times... Great book, by the way, you guys. In real estate, you've got to read that book. Gary Keller, The One Thing. The One Thing. John, for many people that have come to this conference and invested their time, energy, it can be one thing, can't it, that actually just changes their whole entire life. Yesterday, I think you were out organising and you may not have seen bits of the second session of... Um, Tom, Tom Ferry? Tom Ferry. Yeah, and he saw a Hands up when... Did you see the yes, 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 yes close? Hands up. Was that gold or what? Right, and this is this is exactly what uh, John is talking about: making it seamless, as if it hasn't been a close. This ability to have structure with no structure in a presentation. Well, you've got to shift your paradigm because a lot of people think, well, closing it's pushy. It's like making someone do something they don't want to do. I don't want anyone to choose me if they don't want to. But if they want to choose me, I want to know about it. And if they're not sure, I want to know what they're not sure about. The only way I'm going to do that is by saying. Yeah, Tom, how are you feeling about putting me to work? Would you feel comfortable with me representing the sale of your property? And then, if, and then I shut up. And if you say, well, sort of, yeah, I'm not really sure. I probably need to think about it. I say, where is the hesitation? Because one of two things, either I can put your mind at ease and you're probably then going to be happy to put me to work because I'd love to start showing people tomorrow, or whatever you're concerned about, I can't cover, I can't deal with, or I can't make you comfortable with, in which case you'll probably choose someone else. I would rather know that because being a sifter, if you want to be a million-dollar agent, multi-million-dollar agent, you can't go back to the office, cross your fingers and hope and wonder. You actually want to get some immediate feedback. Real time is, how did I do? Do you think I'm a good fit? Do you think that's good? Is my marketing program right? If someone says, you know, well, John, here's your problem is, you know, your marketing program's too expensive. 
So then I can narrow it down. Is that the only thing, Tommy? If that wasn't the, the situation, would you be happy to put me work? Yeah, I would. Okay, let's talk about the marketing. Is it, with respect, is it that you don't have the funds available ready to cash flow that investment? Or is it that you don't believe or see the, the benefit of investing a little bit more to get a better price? Because they're two different, they're the only two reasons. And some people say, oh, no, I've got the funds, but I really don't want to spend 5,000 of my hard-earned money into a marketing campaign. And I understand why you wouldn't do that unless you could see the value and unless I could convince you that 5,000 gives the opportunity to earn 25. Would that be a good investment? Yeah, of course it would be. Well, I can't make that guarantee, but let me give you a case study of a home I sold recently where a client said the same thing. I don't want to advertise. I don't want to market. And these have got to be real stories, by the way. Never make up a thing. Never exaggerate a thing, but just tell them a real case study. You should have a great case study for someone that didn't want to um, market. You convince them to market. They came and you found a buyer in London, an expat. They go into REA. They look at it. They go, bang, I want to buy it. You should all have good case studies like that.